This morning we turn in God's Word to Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16 is the story, the account of a meeting that Hagar has with the angel of the Lord. And in the end, she calls that place Beer Lahai Roy, and I should check. Maybe I wrote it wrong in the bulletin? I did not. Somebody commented in the council, though, that can't wait to hear what I'm going to say about beer. <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't even thinking about that when I wrote it. Uh, that's not part of this message, but it is part of the story of God's word to us in the terms of the, way, the word uh, for the well that she met him at. Genesis 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarah said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now with child, and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. The word of the Lord. As a result of studying this passage, I've thought a lot recently about what the name of a church might say about what we might expect to find inside. For example, 
I recently drove past a church that uh, was known as Trinity Lutheran, or Evangelical Lutheran Church. I wonder what that says about what we might find in that particular church. Evangelical evangel is to be a, a, a witness, to bear good news. Perhaps we would find a church that was excited about the good news that they got to share. Another church is called the Journey Church in Traverse City. wonder what characteristic might apply to that particular church. Perhaps if we joined them, we would find that we are uh, on a journey with them, either following God's word, either toward the ultimate destination, or as he leads us from day to day. I like this one, New Hope Church. I like it because, you know, it's kind of like the old Star Wars. The first one was called New Hope. Okay, you have to be a Star Wars fan. Unfortunately, I am, so I I, I just couldn't resist that one. But what might be the characterization of that particular church if we were to uh, be part of it? We would probably find that it is a church that is focused on giving us new hope, a living hope, celebrating the living hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And then we have the name of the well in this story, which I think would be a great name for a church. Probably not the Hebrew name, but it's um, translation, the church of the living one who sees me. What would that church look like? What might we experience if we were part of the church of the living one who sees me? I want to think about that for a while this morning as we, we hear Hagar's account, this account of Hagar and what we might learn from it for ourselves. What is the circumstances, first of all, that brings Hagar to say, to name this well, Beer Lahai Roy or the well of the living one who sees me? We begin, then, by just the beginning of the story. We read in the first part of Genesis 16 that Abram and Sarai have been living in the land of Canaan now for some time, and they're still waiting for a son, and Sarai comes to Abram and says, you know what, I've got a plan. Let's do this. Apparently, in those days, it was perfectly acceptable to give your maidservant to your husband as a second wife. And Sarah says, let's, you marry Hagar in order that I might get a child or build a family through her. I guess that would mean that as the first wife, as the head wife, any children would also be considered under, as part of her family. So Abram agrees. And he takes Hagar as his wife. And she becomes pregnant. Now, we're not told at all what Hagar's thoughts about this were. Perhaps she was all for it. Perhaps she was not. Perhaps this was a case of using and abusing someone against their will. We're not told. 
But she becomes pregnant, and as a result of her pregnancy, she begins to despise Sarah, or Sarai. And Sarai, because of her jealousy, perhaps, that Hagar can now, is now doing what she could not do, mistreats her. And Abram gets stuck in the middle. I love it. Sarah comes to Abram and says, you are responsible for this mess. Really? You need to do something about it. In fact, she invokes the name of the Lord. May the Lord judge between you and me about this. And what she wants is Abram's got to figure out how this is going to work out. Got to love Abram's response, too. Abram says, she's yours. Deal with her as you choose. I'm washing my hands of this. Hmm. So Sarai mistreats Hagar, and Hagar finally flees. And the angel of the Lord finds her beside a well on the road to Shur, which is on the road to Egypt. Hagar, the Egyptian, is headed home. She's there, abused and alone, without hope or a plan. And the angel of the Lord appears to her. And the angel of the Lord asks her a question. Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? God often begins a conversation with a question. Elijah on Mount Horeb, after the um, fleeing from Jezebel, God comes to him and says, what are you doing here? Because he wants to hear what Elijah has to say. He wants Elijah to voice where he's at. Here, the angel of the Lord asks Hagar, what are you doing here? And she responds, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord says to her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. Then he also goes on to say, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. You are going to have a child. You're going to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. And then he goes on to describe the kind of person Ishmael is going to be, and, and it's a characteristic of all of his descendants after him. He's going to be a handful, and he's not going to get along with anybody very well. So what's the story of what the angel says? Here we have an individual who is alone, abused, without a plan, without hope. And it sounds like the angel of the Lord is saying, I've got a plan for you. A plan to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. Jeremiah 29, 11, we love to quote that and to remind ourselves of that reality quite often in our lives. But here she is, someone who is outside of that promised line, away from the people of the promise. And she hears essentially that same promise, and she realizes that the God of heaven This great God, this God of Abram and Sarah, is not just their God, but he cares about her. 
He knows everything that has happened. He knows why she's there. And she knows what she needs. So he reiterates the promise to her. You are not alone and abandoned. You are not without a hope and a plan because I have that for you. And so she names the place, the well of the living one who sees me. She finally understands that God in heaven sees her in her time of need. And so he also, he began by saying, go back to your mistress and submit to her. Perhaps that's where we need to begin to think about what we might learn from this. Why does he tell her to do that? Because God is a God of reconciliation. In Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself. In Christ, God is reconciling us to himself. In Christ, God is reconciling us to one another. She needs to go back in order that she might be reconciled with Abram and Sarah. They might be reconciled with the reality of what they have done. So that together they may walk in light. Hopefully. We find out that some 15 years later... Abram and Sarah send Hagar and Ishmael away because they don't want him to have any part in what God has planned for them through Isaac. But in this case, God is the angel of the Lord is sending her back in order that, as we read in 1 John chapter 1, they might understand that they need his mercy as much as she does. That Abram and Sarah might see and hear what, what um, Hagar has just heard, that God has heard all that has transpired. And we're told that Abram gives Hagar's son the name Ishmael, and that as a result, every time they speak that name or think about the significance of that name, they are reminded of what they have done and why they need God's mercy and forgiveness. I think another thing that we um, can learn from this particular passage is that we all live in darkness. That God calls us to live in light. He does not allow us to fail to see what is going on in our world around us. We hear of of things that happen in the church, of indiscretions by pastors, however you want to call it, that stuff happens. And we would prefer to sweep it under the rug and, and just let it lie. But we need to understand that God sees all of that and God does not allow that to go unnoticed or undealt with. So as a church of the name uh, the living God or the living one who sees me would probably be a place where we would have to be open with one another realizing 
that we are not like the uh, Pharisee in Jesus' parable who says, I thank you, Lord, that I am such a good person. I do all of these good things for you. Uh, Surely you bless me, right? But that we're more like the sinner, the publican, the tax collector who recognizes, I need your mercy for I'm a sinner. God is the God, the one who sees us and who cares about us, who gives us our hope and our future, and who has a plan for us. But it also includes living together humbly and clearly with one another. To kind of bring this to a close uh, this morning, and tell a story, a story that's related to Good Samaritan. can't help it. Um, it happens there. I guess God put me there so I would be captive to learn some of this stuff uh, from day to day. But it, it really illustrates what I think we are called to do and to be. It was uh, one afternoon, my volunteer was there, and he was a guy who had... Uh, Uh, determined that he was going to make sure that he uh, got to know the people who came through the door. And he noticed something about this gentleman who came through the door. He follows him out to the the parking lot. They have a discussion. He brings him back in and says, we have to pray over this guy. Found out a little bit more about what was going on. We prayed. And this volunteer said to him, I'll never forget, you have been seen. I see you. God sees you. Oftentimes, we see people around us who are, like Hagar, at a point in their lives when they are alone, perhaps abused, without hope, without a plan. Life has been hard on them uh, in that moment or over time. Quite often, we might miss them. I would have missed that. But the Lord, the living one who sees us, uses people like us to be his hands and his feet and his mouth in touching the lives of those like this gentleman. What he asks of us is that we open our eyes and our minds and our willingness to do that. If we do, then perhaps someday the people of this community will say, hey, that's the church of the living one who sees me. And that would be an awesome thing. Amen. Lord, you work through uh, in many ways to bring about your plan for us. We confess that you know the plans for us, that you do have a, a plan to prosper us and to give us a future. We also know that you have a plan for those who are not part of us, those who have left us for whatever reason, and those who live around us who have no clue yet 
that you are not a God who's just way out there, but a God who sees and hears all that transpires in their lives. A God who also wants to give them a plan, give them a hope and a future to prosper them. Lord, may we be, as your people, be open to the, uh, open our eyes to the reality of the world around us and respond in ways that will allow others to see you as we do, as the one who sees us and who cares about us, as the one who sees them and cares about them. Use us to draw them to you. In Jesus' name, amen.